Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to the In Awe Podcast and our series feature in the month of June 2023, In Awe of Healers. Our guiding quote for the month is from an anonymous person who stated, a healer is not someone that you go to for healing. A healer is someone that triggers within you your own ability to heal yourself. Our first guest really embodies this quote in such powerful ways, and I'm so excited to kick off with her message today. Jen Rafferty is an educator, author, and international public speaker. She started as a middle school music teacher for 15 years in central New York, and she is known for bringing her energy, humor, and expertise to her presentations while inspiring educators to stay connected to their why. Jen is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and is currently pursuing her PhD in educational psychology. Since its inception, Empowered Educator has reached teachers and school leaders all over the world. Jen has been featured in Authority Magazine, Medium, Thrive Global, Voyage, MIA, and was on the TEDx stage with her talk, Generational Change Begins with Empowered teachers. She is also the host of the podcast, Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, which is rated in the top 3% of podcasts globally. Jen's insatiable curiosity continues to make the Empowered Educator programs relevant and reflective of the most up-to-date research in mindset, leadership, and cognitive neuroscience. She is committed to inspiring teachers and school leaders to discover their voice and maintain a healthy longevity throughout their careers. In this episode, we discuss what led Jen to passionately serve to empower educators. Her journey through learning to listen to her intuition and follow her calling into what is right for her in serving through her business. And Jen shares valuable details about her focus on healing educators where they are so they can continue serving in their capacities. It is such an honor to have had this wonderful conversation with Jen Rafferty. As listeners know, you will hear we are very much aligned and we continue to dive deeper into these topics that we know are most powerful for you right now. It is with such great joy, honor, and gratitude that I share with you Jen Rafferty's In Awe of Healer's Story. Welcome, Jen Rafferty, to the In Awe Podcast. I am so excited. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited to have this awesome conversation with you today and become best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, me too. (laughs) So I read your impressive bio uh, before the start of the show, but would you just do me a favor and share with us what is your current context? What are you up to in this beautiful world of ours? Today, yes, <laughs> I am an author, educator, TEDx speaker, and founder of Empowered Educator, which is a company that provides professional development for the adults in school spaces that really focuses on the social and emotional well-being of, of those people. We pay so much attention to our kids that we leapfrog over the adults in these spaces. So what I do is really kind of zoom out and make sure that everyone is feeling good because, you know, the well-being of a school is dependent on the well-being of its educators. Well, you speak my exact love language with this conversation. (laughs) Uh, Good. (laughs) Yes. And of course, just knowing um, the little bit that I do about you, I'm sure you do that with passion and verve and purpose and authenticity. Um, I have a question for you though. What in the world led you to this space where you're like, okay, wait a second, hold on. These adults in this world need to be poured into. What was that for you? Yeah. So 
December 2019 was kind of where I, I kind of start this story. I had just published my book and about two weeks later, my husband and I decided we were going to get a divorce. Mm. And yeah, it was kind of a busy month. <laughs> and so the, you know, the weekend, the world shut down in March, 2020 was actually the same weekend that I moved out of the house with my two kids who were five and seven at the time. Mm. And that was also quite a weekend. So why, why I, I start there is because, you know, prior to that, my career was going really well. I was a music teacher in the classroom for about 15 years. I loved what I did. I really did. Teaching music was something that I felt like I was born to do. I was conducting choirs across New York state. I was presenting at conferences nationally at that point. And so when my world kind of came crashing down on that weekend, you know, along with everyone else's, but you know, for, for me that, that, there was particularly some special sauce going on there. I had this moment where I really had to reckon with who did I want to be in this world? Who was I? What was serving me? What wasn't serving me? What were my priorities? And when I say moment, I mean, you know, months of, of time, you know, kind of zooming out in, in that regard as well. And so I decided to take off the, what I thought would just be a semester to homeschool my kids. Mm -hmm. which is another story, perhaps for another podcast episode. Um, but I started my PhD in educational psychology and really dove into my own healing. And I became certified as an emotional intelligence practitioner, got really enmeshed in the research about mindset and cognitive neuroscience, which I had been nerding out on my whole career anyway. And when the time came to decide whether or not I was going to go back to work, you know, my mind was telling me, yeah, Jen, you've been wanting to do this your whole life. Of course, you're going to go back. And my body was just screaming at me, telling me, you know, follow your calling. There's something else that is here waiting for you. And so I submitted my resignation letter and uh, was really excited. And then four days later, I was bawling like a baby on my couch thinking, what did I just do? I just resigned from my job. But I... I persevered and I followed my heart and I followed what I knew was right. And, you know, teachers, especially during COVID, this issue was really underscored. It was highlighted that people are not okay. And if we're not taking care of the people who are taking care of our kids, then I, what are we doing? Absolutely. I just appreciate all of that um, incredible detail that you shared. And, and like you said, there's probably three or four podcast episodes right in there in that <laughs> short, like elevator speech of how you led here. I am in awe of this moment of the fact that our paths are really closely aligned. Um, mm. You know, hearing that moment where you were talking about the decision to stay home and homeschool your kids and on all of that. I actually, that same year was home with my sixth and third grader. And when you said mm. <laughs> props, I, it was the hardest year. I don't think I'm being um, disingenuous in any, by any means. It was the hardest year for me staying home with my girls yeah. and trying to help them along. And, um, you know, like you said, I think you use the word reckon, trying to reckon with yeah you know, what your purpose is. And for me, I think I was just a little bit sooner on the journey of launching out and following that deep call inside of you that there's something else you're supposed to do with that wretched ripping off of the title that you loved so much. Um, so my listeners yeah. have heard a lot about that piece. I am deeply, and I, I also started my PhD too. <laughs> so mm, and, uh, I know we're meant to be best friends. I said this. 
Um, but I'm also really <laughs> deeply curious about your specific content area. Cause as you said it, I was thinking music teachers, and I know you serve everybody as well. You certainly should. We're not going to compartmentalize that, but I'm super curious about music teachers and the level of burnout in proportion to others. I don't, have you ever looked at that at all? Mm. I, I haven't looked at the research specifically, you know, as, as you know, as a PhD student, we always look <laughs> as a loaded research. question. So gonna, yes, yes. Right. So I'm going to put the caveat in there that this is not official research. This is truly my observation and my own lived experience, both in and out of the classroom in my role as a teacher and now doing what I'm doing. And is it more, you know, I think it's different. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone experiences the struggle of, stress, overwhelm, frustration, this idea of balancing, this idea of trying to be enough, trying to be be enough, just not in the classroom, but also at home and finding time for themselves. And I think that music teachers have different responsibilities and obligations regarding the, their commitments outside of school, many of them, which they don't get paid for. Mm-hmm. And their class structure is different, but I, I don't know that I would say it's more because as you know, I know that, you know, you know, everyone experiences the stress, the same inside, regardless of what's happening on the outside. I think that the general underlying concern for me, and and this is kind of what I've come to through my research is that teachers, administrators, you know, anyone who kind of works in this space hands over their self-worth to the kids that they serve. And that to me is, has been pretty universal. Hmm. That is really interesting. Can you tell a little bit more about that? What are you coming across? Sure. So, you know, I, I hear so many times where, where teachers are, again, I'm going to go back to just not being good enough, not measuring up. Um, feeling as if their whole identity is really conflated with their role in education. Mm. And, you know, this is part of what I talk about in the TED Talk too. You know, when we conflate the two and when we identify as this role as an educator, which traditionally is one of sacrifice and selflessness, we are constantly giving of self and the idea of needing anything or wanting anything or desiring, God forbid, desiring something <laughs> is, is something that's seen as, as very selfish. And there's a lot of guilt and shame that's wrapped up in it. Or we have people on the other hand, just throwing their hands up completely and saying, you know, it's me and I don't care about the the consequences or, or whatever that may be regarding my choice to choose me first. Mm. And what what happens is, is that we are constantly looking for affirmation and validation of ourselves from the kids that we work with. So it's, you know, I'm never going to feel like a successful teacher if my kids aren't behaving. I'm never going to feel good enough if my kids aren't performing well. I'm never going to be happy unless my schedule changes. And so we are relying on external circumstances to determine how we feel on the inside. And the work that I do is really show people that the most generous thing you can do for your students is take care of yourself. Because when we do this, we have a higher capacity to serve and we have a higher capacity for greater satisfaction when we serve. Um, But that's kind of a a backwards idea in this tradition, this long standing tradition of sacrifice and martyrdom 
of education. Oh my goodness. I'm over here just clap, clap, clapping. Yes. Preach, speak it. (laughs) Yeah. It's so, so interesting because there's so many different avenues to go in this area that you are serving, that you're learning about, that we are both learning about both our lived experiences and in the literature. And also um, just in, you know, people want to point a lot of different fingers. And I love that you're talking about how it truly can be internal. I mean, we know that there's so many systemic reasons that have led to that perception of being a martyr, you know, having to be a prerequisite <laughs> for educators. Yep. Um, I think that part of uh, my message, and we'll see if this speaks to you, is just really that evolution of learning. I had to switch the uh misconception that I had that servant leadership was martyrdom because that was the message that I internalized. Uh, And I'm not saying that it was anyone else's fault except mine, but I do think that there's a systemic perception out there that the two are synonymous and they just can't be. Uh, We can't sustain. We can't continue to, like you said, serve those that we care about if we aren't taking care of ourselves. And truly um, this probably... I don't know. I I was thinking about some of these examples that you're sharing with how, you know, the vast majority are seeing that their self-worth is tied up in the students. But also I was thinking systemically as you were talking and thinking about where I land in the generational spectrum of educators and how when we onboarded, you just you gave everything. You volunteered for everything. You were teaching, but then you were also coaching and advising and it's interesting to see the shift being, you know, 20 some years into this and hearing so many people at this level and longer being frustrated with educators that are coming in and not taking up that mantle, not doing their time, so to speak, like not taking on coaching roles, <laughs> all of these things. And as I've listened to them over time, I've thought, I think they've got it right and we've got it wrong. <laughs> you know, newer educators coming in and not taking on the extra duties that everyone's just expected to in the education field. Does that make sense? Oh, hundred percent. Well, the thing is, you know, this all stems from tradition. If you take a look at the way schools were structured in the early 20th century, they really don't look that much different Mm. (laughs) than the way schools are set up now. And, and that's insane to me, you know, and and this is because education is steeped in tradition. And we can talk about all the reasons, you know, why those those traditions have become the way they are, you know, including, you know, patriarchy and capitalism, all those all those things. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we just look at what it is and it's based in tradition, the way I like to look at tradition is that it's just peer pressure from dead people. And and, and the thing (laughs) is, like, if if the tradition is serving you, awesome. But if it is not, which like, let's be really honest here it is not, mm-hmm. then we need to take a moment and see what is serving us and what is not. And by us, I don't mean the teachers, but by us, I mean, like in our society, the children of the next generation, yeah. how are we serving them so we can meet the moment in, as to where they are right now, because we don't exist anymore in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. We are here now and this idea, I I refer to this. I don't uh, recall exactly the words that you used to describe this, but I use the the words like the superhero, you know, mm-hmm. idea of teachers are superheroes, and that is actually a narrative that I subscribe to also, yeah. because when you are a superhero, it justifies the chaos, it justifies the workload, because superheroes 
can just take it. Superheroes show up and they don't complain. They don't have to take a day for themselves. They just get the job done. And we are not superheroes. We are human heroes. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, that superhero story, I even wrote that in, it was the second sentence of my book at the time. I was like, teachers are superheroes. You're a superhero. Because that's how much I fully believed it. Sarah, I had to believe it Mm -hmm. because I was drowning. And Mm -hmm. so if I wasn't a superhero, well, then I would have to start asking myself some pretty confronting questions and making some pretty difficult decisions. And I was not at a place in my life where I was ready to do that yet. Well, and, and you started out saying you've learned it's, you know, so much about mindset and it is all about mindset for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about that, you know, you're, your term for your business is empowered educator. And it's interesting because I don't want to shame that superhero idea or pounce on it. If that's the space that people need to pull from energy, right? If that's the space I think about like this power pose idea, you know, in mindset, (laughs) Um, if I, you know, cause I'm the same and actually it's part of my content when I present Jen is this idea of a superhero, because when I was hired for my first principalship, the conditions were bananas. I could go on and on about it, but I remember it's tying so well to this. And I don't think I've ever shared this one on the podcast that, uh, the board at the time, they were so excited about me and they said, well, are you ready to be a superhero? And I said, give me my cape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I prompted to fall apart inside, um, in ways that nobody would see, you know, until I started to share later. And I, and I talk about that, like actually superheroes with capes are the ones that get pulled down most often. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, shifting yeah. a mindset to right now, I love even in my own life. And this is, you know, 10 years later, I agree with you. And I, I think superhero can be a damn thing. But I also look at um, Captain Marvel personally as an example that I visualize in my mind when I need to learn to like shine my brightest and be who I am and take off the uh, cuffs of what people think about me Mm -hmm. to be my own personal best. Right. So I just think it's like, it's how you look at that paradigm too. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, you know, it's, it is in the air that we breathe. Yeah. And I think this idea, you know, words, words definitely matter. And, and if you have your own relationship with that word and you can understand what that means for you, amazing. And that's, that is fantastic. Cause that's really, you know, essentially what we want to do. We want, we want to have everybody to create their own idea of what success feels like, what it, what it means to be successful, how, how we can reach our, you know, greatest way of of authentic expression all the time right and put on different hats so if that if that works for you awesome where this comes from for me is just again within my observations my own experiences my own research and this um is often which you know of course not always what you've just explained is, is often conflated with martyrdom and that's where we get in trouble 100%. And I want to clarify that that superhero cape comment was very damaging for me. (laughs) It, it, it provided a belief that I had to be that, you know, and from the highest level, the board (laughs) who really just had a, 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 
sweet, genuine belief that I could be that. Well, um, it was their idea of yeah. what they thought you were supposed to be. And that yeah. is different than Sarah saying, hey, this is my new role and this is what I'm going to bring to it. And this is my vision for this. Yeah. And this is how it aligns with what you're thinking. That is a totally different story. Yes. And the story that, you know, I was driving 45 minutes one way and had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Superheroes don't have those. <laughs> They sure don't. No, I want to clarify that for me, it's been a 10-year process of shedding that, but then um, embracing that sign of empowerment from internal. Like, where does that strength come from internally? And that it's my mindset that no one else ever gets to know about or see, right? And so I think it's really important to (laughs) to put a a quick pin in that because I'm with you 100% on this. Yeah, 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 100%. And, And empowerment really is about understanding, at least for me, this is, and I want to clarify that too, this is empowerment for me is about understanding your agency Mm. and, and realizing that you have these micro choices all the time, every single day, because you are 100% responsible for how you show up in any given situation. And that's truly where your power lies. I love that so much. And I, and I can tell that this is a message that you've been given to give to the world, especially Mm. given the fact that you were talking about, you know, your book came out at this time, massive life decision change, a micro, it's not a micro decision that you shared, you know, it's a family dynamic. Yeah. Some of them are are macro decisions. Those are big, right. (laughs) But it was, it was in your power you know, to yes. make that decision. And I think sometimes we just allow life to continue to happen. Um, and sure. look what it's well, done for you. You know, at the end of the yeah. day, when you look backward at all that challenge that you've been through, um, look what, yeah. how you're using it. That's just really beautiful. Thank you. And and that's the thing. I think when, when you, you someone looks at my timeline, it's really easy to see, okay, divorced, you know, single mom, TED talk, <laughs> right? Like that's kind of like, the, it's like, wow, you know, how did that? Well, it, it happened because of yes, those macro decisions, but also the decision to, first of all, decide that I, I needed a community, decide that I needed support, decided that I, I wanted to learn more about my brain because I thought that if I learned more about it, I could show up differently for myself and for my kids, mm-hmm. you know, decided every morning to get up and not check my phone, but take a breath and have a moment of gratitude, decide mm-hmm. when I drink my coffee to sip it with a smile on my face. You know, those mini moments throughout the day are what I teach and what I practice to get me from point A to point B to point C. So it is, it's, it's those big macro ones and it's those, those mini ones that, um, you know, the mindset piece is the underlying force. As you said, it's, it's behind all of it. The reason you and I are so aligned is I love that you use that, you know, you're talking about mindfulness, you're talking about practicing and my research is, is around, whether spiritual practices, just as what you were talking about, which is essentially essentially the gratitude and the mindfulness and a routine though, that we don't just kind of say we do these things, but we have discipline and we practice them every day, whether we want to or not <laughs> to work those mm-hmm. muscles. If that has an impact on school leaders' ability to sustain the work um, outside of you know systemic pressures and all of those things. And so- sure. 
when you said when you said the word practice, I wanted to point that out because I think that was intentional on your part. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, it is. It is a practice. You know, you don't wake up one day and you're like, I'm empowered now. I got it. <laughs> like, <laughs> reach, reach the spiritual pinnacle of my life. Like if if we're not growing and and practicing this, we're we're dead. Like that's that's just how this works. And I I truly believe what all of this mindfulness is and and I also want to be clear here, and I'm sure your audience knows this too, because mindfulness in and of itself can be a triggering word for people these days. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we're talking about, just like being being present right now and noticing, because when you do that, you start to raise your consciousness. You start to raise your conscious awareness and getting out of those autopilot habitual routines that we've created within our subconscious, which are so strong. You know, we live 95 to 97% of the time in our subconscious all the time. Like that's, that's how we interact throughout our day subconsciously. And only three to 5% is conscious. That is wild to me. And so what these moments of, of mindfulness are about is pausing, raising your conscious awareness to make a choice that could be different, to move the needle forward a little bit, to reach your intention, to live in the feelings that you want to feel, to, you know, have that connection to your students, your colleague, your coffee, you know, whatever. Um, but doing it intentionally without being asleep on this autopilot, which so many of us are. I'm trying so hard to decide where to go in the next question, because I'm so deeply interested in all the things that you've learned. Um, but specifically too, I'm curious, this is the series on healers. When you work with educators, if you were able to say these are the three salient points, roughly, that we work on, what are they to help heal? It's a great question. First and foremost is safety. Hmm. The reason why we start there and, and we start there in lots of different ways, but it essentially comes down to safety because our nervous system and what I mean, the nervous system, brain, body is jacked up all the time. I mean, we don't have to go over, we turn on our phone, we turn on the news, you know, we're, we're breathing in activators all the time. A hundred percent of us have lived through the trauma of the pandemic. So our nervous systems are just activated at a higher level all the time right now and bringing it to a place of safety or any sort of deep, beautiful, juicy, experiential healing. Mm. Um, Because if we're not being safe and we're not feeling safe, we're in protective mode instead of performance mode. And that's really where we want to be. So this happens through a lot of different ways, including a lot of self-regulating techniques, breathing techniques, I'm sure you're aware of, lots of physical techniques. And then the second thing is then understanding your neurobiology. Hmm. You know, we have this incredible tool in between our ears and especially educators, we don't have any formal training on how the brain works. And we are quite <laughs> literally brain changers, <laughs> right? right? And so I, I find that fascinating too. So I get super nerdy about all of the information about this cognitive neuroscience and cognitive psychology because it is important that you know how your brain works so you realize that you are not your brain. You are a person who has a brain and you can direct your brain to do all sorts of things if you have the tools to do so. So that's the second piece. And then the third piece is for me, if we're just like summing it up into three, because there's so many, but if we're just summing up three, the third piece is practical strategies that are tangible, that, that you, it's not just like, you know, just change your thoughts or think positive. It, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to have 
really tangible tools that you can use that include your body because so much of this mindset work is, has to do with thoughts. But if you don't bring your body along, like forget it because your body is where the trauma lives, your body, your cells is where your memories live. And so we do a lot of that somatic work as well to really lead people in a way of, of, of healing which then, as you know, creates this ripple effect because you are the variable. As soon as you change, everything around you starts to change. Mm. I want to talk and listen to you forever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this will be the first of many conversations, Sarah. I have no doubt. (laughs) It's fantastic. I, and as I listened to you and I, I heard you say that we are brain changers and yet we don't get the training that we need on brain-based learning. And one thing that I found, and again, just working in the small microcosm of the context that I'm in, even when we do, we forget about it. Even, you know, I, the school district that I was in last year did such a fantastic job of bringing in, uh, um, sustainable learning on brain-based learning. And yet then this year, I haven't heard one boo, one whisper, one, you know, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Tell me why you want to, you want to know why? Yeah. Because it was student centered. Yeah. This was about teaching students yeah. and this is how we're going to do brain-based learning. Yeah. And this is what, I, this is how I shift things. And what I do is so different than what's out there right now, because yes, all your, your kids have brains too, but I'm not interested in talking about your kids. You're going to be great. You're great at what you do. You can make the transfer yourself. I don't need to tell you how to teach kids, but I need to tell you how to operate your own brain. Yeah. Because then what happens is when you show up differently, you then start to recognize what's happening in your students. You understand the value of these techniques because you use them on yourself. So it becomes naturally to you to then pass them on to your students. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, I hear this a lot, actually. So I have um, one teacher, she was teaching fifth grade. Her kids were coming back from lunch. And they were a little, you know, a little ornery. <laughs> to say the least, they were just a little, little uh, frenetic energy after lunch. And she said, old me would have given them consequences, would have sent a kid outside, to, you know, to go to the office, would have called, called home, would have given them extra work to do. She's like, but because of the work that we've done, because I could tell that they were activated because I was feeling activated when they walked in. I just shut the lights and we did three rounds of a box breath mm. and the rest of the class was amazing. So mm. what happened there? Couple things, right? First of all, she initiated a beautiful self-regulation technique for herself and gave the kids their own too so that they could feel empowered for when the next time they're feeling frenetic, they can use that themselves. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any disciplinary referrals. And then everybody left that class feeling great because there was no learning loss. Nobody escalated to the point where people were getting out of control and yelling and consequences and all that stuff. We just took a beat and took a breath And everything was great. And we can just carry on with our day. And the difference is it wasn't like a top-down initiative saying like, hey guys, we're going to do this new initiative now. We're going to take breathing breaks when the kids are getting a little, (laughs) I mean, because, because the teachers would be like, are you kidding me? Now I have this other thing that I need to do. Uh, You know, I another thing on my plate. It doesn't work that way. You don't you dare do that in high school. (laughs) Right, right, right. But but you have to start with the adults in these spaces because these are the ones that are setting the examples. So if we're not honoring them and meeting them where they are at and what they need, any of these other initiatives are going to fall to the wayside. It's a waste of time and it's a waste of money. And I know that some of them 
can, I mean, I'm not, I'm not discounting and discrediting a lot of these beautiful programs out there, mm-hmm. but from my experience, the way to go is to really reach the adults in these classrooms first. Yeah. hundred percent. And I loved hearing you get so passionate about that example because there are, we have so many examples uh, where it, you know, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and as I was listening to you, I was thinking about all of the missed opportunities that I've had. So I was back in a school in the last two years and excuse me, I was trying to do uh, far too much again. This is my journey. It's my pattern <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. teaching 300 kids, you know, in the library every week and, but trying to do it Monday through Wednesday. <laughs> um, and so every other week on Mondays, I literally wouldn't have a lunch time, and it was just back to back teaching and you're hopping from kinders to sixth graders back to third, you know, and, um, then trying to figure out how to help manage, you know, any adult questions or the high school that you're supervising all in between all of it. Right. So right. I would often look to my, um, aid and say, this was hard because it's, cause I'm not regulated today. <laughs> like, and I, and we would yes. just, we would recognize that on Mondays, it wasn't going to be my best classroom management because I'm not a superhero and I could be yes. as prepared as possible and have the plans in place. But you know, you got 30 minutes with a group of 36 graders. And, um, it was just kind of fun. Cause at the end of the, this time I was telling them we only have one class left and I actually got really choked up and my aide and I have kind of chuckled about it, but she said with the six graders, those are the ones you got choked up over. And I said, Yes, because it was never about them. Um, in my, if I would be tired or frustrated, I always knew that sixth graders are going to come in as sixth graders. It was my capacity right. to handle them by the time I'd already had a full morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Never yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. What beautiful so. recognition. And that's, you know, when you are able to have the vocabulary and the understanding where you could say to your aide, I'm feeling dysregulated and she <laughs> understands what that means and asks you, what do you need? How can I support you? That's the world that I want to live in, that that schools are really going more towards that universal language of regulation, dysregulation. What do you mm-hmm. need right now? How can I support you? Because kids don't need another detention. They need self-regulation strategies, you know, faculty don't need another mug or another donut. They need self-regulation strategies and time and support to use them. Yeah. So anyone listening, I just, it hit me when you said that, because at first, Jen, I was sharing that as, oh, I had failed opportunities. But then as you were saying it, I just had flashbacks of how many times she and I did that for one another. And I'm so grateful, you know, this last year has been that lived experience. And I'm going to make sure before I head out the door to remind her to continue to do that because she's taking Mm -hmm. my position and we've got an incredible person taking hers. So that's a, that's a great opportunity to remind myself to pour that into her. Um, yes. Oh my goodness. And and if you have listeners, if you have that opportunity to have any type of a teaching partner, whether it's in the moment or you're on a PLC, which is not a dirty word, help one another with that. You can do this. And you know, we talked about, um, we should pop some resources and, you know, maybe not doing that on the podcast, but this last year, part of my PhD uh, learning was about learning as well. And so a lot of brain-based um, texts to read and articles. And, you know, one of the things that we shared and talked about, cause you said you started with safety and I think we forget, you know, some of these, um, circle times or these morning routines with kids is actually building that safety and it's making those personal 100%. connections so that it primes their brain to learn. 
And I think that as adults, you know, we look at that, um, you know, there's a, there's an example of what is it like, a I can't remember as a victory lap is one of the brain-based strategies in a team meeting with adults is just what was the victory for the day to start out that way? What was the victory totally. for your week, right? Start out on a high, get yourself into your higher brain so that you can then focus. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And we it's look simple. at that as fluff, but it's not. Well, we look at, okay. I'm, uh, yes. I think historically some people look at it as fluff. <laughs> What a great way to pattern that language. (laughs) Because, you know, I, it's, it's not necessary. Like the the results aren't measurable. You know, Mm -hmm. you you can't capitalize on telling, you know, somebody your win. And so, you know, measure how, how good that makes you feel. Right. Mm -hmm. But what happens is people, and we are, we are so focused on outputs, we are so focused on outputs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the test scores, the the all the data, the attendance rates, the disciplinary referrals. But what you're describing right here is about inputs. And if we focus on the inputs, which aren't necessarily immediately measurable, we are going to naturally have better outputs. I mean, we I can pick any a, a slew of different analogies about this, right? Let, I mean. Think the garden, right? <laughs> we don't mm. look at the flower and, and like, you know, tell the flower to do better. We fix the soil, mm-hmm. right? So so this isn't always the most exciting work is fixing the soil. It sometimes can get really dirty, but we'll have a bigger, beautiful, more, you know, robust flower if we do. And what you just said is a beautiful technique of really focusing on inputs, celebrate your wins, celebrate them often, celebrate each other. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. You've given us so much good value. And if I don't move us toward (laughs) the end of this podcast interview, (laughs) we'll keep going and going, but listeners, obviously you can tell Jen's got so much to offer. So when we get to the end here, we'll be sure to link everything that you um, provide and be sure that they can connect with you afterward to be able to engage with your services. Because obviously this is, I'm so glad you listened. I'm so, so glad that you listened to that call, no matter how hard it was. Um, And I just know that your journey is for sure on the right path. So I wanted to thank, thank you for you. that, but shifting into our two standard questions, I know you'll have great <laughs> insights for us here too. Um, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? So I think the biggest thing for me, and this is of course been done with a lot of heal- healing myself and exploring this very question is, oh, get feeling myself getting choked up about this one, you know, is trust yourself. And that's a big one. You know, I grew up very similarly to a lot of people where other people's expectations became my identity. And I couldn't fully unpack that until I was in my mid thirties when my life exploded or imploded. Mm. And the things that I thought I should be doing and I thought I should be really good at, I did because I was that straight A student and I felt like I was a superhero and I wanted to be what other people thought of being good. You know, those external good job gens were important to me because it, it affirmed my, my worth. Mm. And what I know to be true now is that I was always worthy 
I didn't have to do anything to earn it. I just was because I woke up in the morning Mm. and my fullest, most authentic expression of myself is not always what other people expect. And that is beautiful. And that what that's what makes me feel alive. And that's what makes me feel uh, in service to others by being myself. And so I would say that to her. And in saying that to her, you said so much to the rest of us. Um, mm. So thank you for that. That's a, it's a very powerful message and clearly an artifact of your healing, mm. which mm-hmm. is really, really beautiful. How about this one? If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what would you say to help them rise up out of it? So I have a little note on my desk that I look at every single day. And it says enough is a decision. It is not an amount. And the only person that gets to decide whether or not it's enough is you. And so this pit of despair or doubt often comes from a place of unworthiness, not being enough and reminding yourself that you are the only person who gets to decide when it's enough. And that at least to me brings me a lot of peace. And I hope that can be a a source of peace for other people too. Enough is a decision and not an amount. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Um, what a mm. great way to illustrate that point. And I am just grateful to hear that from you today and know that it landed right where I needed to hear it. Therefore, I mm. always know there's someone here that's going to be in our audience, whether it's you know today or a year from now, hopefully five, 10 years from now, that that message will still stay and your voice is so perfect right now. Thank you so much for that, Jen. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk with you. It's been so wonderful. I'm excited to do it again. (laughs) Me too. All right. So listeners for sure are going to want to get in touch with you. We will, as you know, link everything, but what is the best way for them to get a hold of you to interact after this episode? So yeah, the, the best way is really on my website, which is empowerededucator.com. And if you go to the resources page, there's a ton of free resources that are available to you. I'm now offering a free meditation guide. So if you go to empowerededucator.com slash meditations, you get a free guided meditation series for people who think they don't know how to meditate, people who think they don't have time to meditate, or people who think they're not doing it right. This meditation was made especially for you. So that is a gift that I hope everyone takes advantage of. And then of course, you can find me and all of the social at Jen Rafferty underscore. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, not only for that wonderful gift, but also for everything else that you provide to this world and for healing yourself so that you can continue to heal others. You are amazing. Thank you, Sarah. I received that. And thank you also for the work you do in this world. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.